0: Hey Chris, did you see the uh the Gnome Foundation received a whole bunch of money lately? Yeah, they got four hundred thousand in total. Like three hundred thousand is going to the foundation and another hundred thousand is going to GIMP. That's it's awesome. It's all coming from this mysterious handshake.org. I gotta be honest, Wes, I did not know about handshake.org, I don't think, before I saw this. Kind of a kind of a sleeper project, but it's interesting. Yeah, it is. It's kind of promising. What has always been hoped for, which is decentralized permissionless naming like DNS and certificate trusts. And it works with DNS in a way. Put that another way, an experimental peer-to-peer root DNS server. This is very fascinating and a great idea. I'd love to know more about them, so we might reach out in the future and have a chat with them. But yeah, this is great. In fact... Even if we haven't heard about them, that they have
1: this kind of money to slosh around not only benefit seems to benefit us a lot, but does make me think like, okay, what, what's going on over there?
0: Hmm, perhaps this will relate to something else we're going to talk about today. Strokes the beard randomly. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 261 for August 7th, 2018. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's fully staffed and ready to podcast. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. And my name is Brent. Hello, guys. We have a great show coming up today. 261 is packed full of great community. Good news, really, including new features that are coming to Linux. Great news for friends of the show. New features that are surprising to even Microsoft. And hope for those of us that want to play Windows games on Linux As well as a couple of great apps, an update on our Community PeerTube instance, and a breakdown of what's got our attention in the new Android Pi release. That's a ton of stuff this week. Absolutely packed. And not only do you have your humble hosts, myself, Wes, and Brent, but you have that virtual lug. Time-appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Hello. Hello.
2: Greetings. Hello.
0: I don't know if it comes across, but that's... A full room this week.
1: That's I'm excited a, too. That, I think
0: they're I think they're raring to go. I'm raring to go, Wes. Tell you what, I've been I've been out there in the heat, charging myself like Superman, preparing myself to podcast this week. Because the news has even reached the halls of Microsoft. It's undeniable the power of developers on Linux. July ended with 3.97 million starts of PowerShell Core, 82% of which were all on Linux. They were expecting those numbers to be reversed, and they thought it would be on Windows 10. This is from a little birdie tells me that would be in a position to know that they were expecting the numbers to be the exact opposite. They thought that Linux would be uh, around 20% and Windows 10 would be around 80-ish percent. I mean, that's how it normally goes. And they got the numbers back from the, uh, you know, Insight metrics that they collect. And 82% of the PowerShell start instances happened on Linux boxes. That's a, I mean, that's Microsoft's own shell. (laughs) Okay. I mean, that's why that really gets me. Is it's not like it's Bash. Okay. It's PowerShell. I'm really curious to know what, what all those
1: people are using it for. I mean, not that, mm. not that they are not legitimate uses. I'm just genuinely interested.
0: See, I've always had a theory. The whole, the whole PowerShell core coming to Linux thing was really uh, a gift to system administrators who wanted to use Linux and still manage a bunch of Windows boxes. And I wonder if that's a bit of what's going oh, on Oh, sure.
1: Here. Yeah, it's your, little, it's your little open source tie-in into that system.
0: There's also certain things about PowerShell that are very, very appealing um, when you compare it to certain other shell environments, which uh, I am not an expert to get into, but we did cover that in a past episode if people want to know. I just thought that was a fascinating stat to start with right there. I also love hearing that eighty-two uh, percent of anything is on Linux. I think that's a really good thing for us. <laughs> that's very true. That is very true. And I want to give a special a shout out to not one but two fine gentlemen from the Elementary OS project. Hello to Dan and Cassidy. Good to have you guys here. How's it going, man? guys? Uh, I I feel like we should start. Um, I feel like we should start on a journey. I want to go on a journey with you guys to talk about where we're at. But the reason why they're both here, one of the reasons, at least, I assume. Is last week Cassidy announced that after quite a while at System 76, he is going full time at Elementary OS, and um, that's massive for anybody who's ever had uh, a side passion project that they were super committed to. There's always been that agony to go full time. I'm pretty familiar with that. So Cassidy, I, I'm, I'm just super happy for you, man, because I can imagine how good that must feel. So congratulations.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really stoked.
0: So we are going to get to that uh, as well as some other potentially interesting community news. But uh, the crew voted and we decided to start with just a bit of a, of a tech snap security notice in a way really here. It's this uh, vulnerability notice for a flaw in the Linux kernel TCP implementation, which makes it vulnerable to an easy denial of service attack. Linux kernel versions 4.9 and above can be forced to make a very expensive call to the TCP collapse queue and the TCP prune queue calls uh, for every single (laughs) incoming packet, which would lead to a denial of service. They say can, but of course that would. An attacker can induce a denial of service condition by sending specially modified packets within ongoing TCP sessions. Maintaining the denial of service condition requires continuous two-way TCP sessions on a reachable port. Thus, the attacks cannot be performed using spoofed IPs. But the impact is a remote attacker may be able to trigger a denial of service condition against a system with an open port, and it's on anything above kernel four nine. Yeah, that's uh, that's rough. Especially if you're running a, uh, you
1: know, a server out there on the internet. Yeah, it looks like uh, with less than two kilo per second of an attack traffic, you can then just totally. Totally load a box, delay all the network traffic. That's not really good if you
0: are trying to serve web pages. This is how podcast wars will be fought in the future once they become big business franchises. <laughs> that's so funny to even think the podcast wars when it's just five podcast companies left. They began exploiting old Linux boxes on the internet with denial of service attacks. I mean, when you're too busy making podcasts to pa- podcast to patch? patch
1: your box, that's that's your
0: problem. Who can patch? Who can patch? Anyways. The crew wanted to get you, the crew being those of us that chatted about it earlier today, uh, which was a few of us thought, you know what, if we're gonna talk about this on the show, we should probably get it out there yeah. in sort of like a kind of like the more you know kind of thing. And
1: there's no real workaround except an updated kernel. So yeah. go look for those.
0: Yeah. Okay, now here's the news I've been avoiding, even though it's the beginning of the show. I've still been I've been delaying to get to this point. Um because I feel like it's going to be perceived as an attack, and it is not an attack, it is an analysis. And we start with uh, a piece that was written about common causes of Fedora workstation crashes and the fact that they have been traced back to GNOME shell, JavaScript extension JavaScript extensions crashing. So here's the scenario. Uh, and this is a write-up that we'll have linked in the show notes at linuxunplugged.com slash 261 if you would like to read it yourself or if you've been experiencing some instability issues. Now, this is predominantly the worst on Fedora 28 because it's using Wayland, and here's the scenario. A GNOME shell extension crashes. That takes out the shell. When the shell goes out, it takes out mutter, which is the thing that's talking Wayland. That is the display server, and you lose your entire desktop because a shell extension crashed. That's very upsetting. And so the uh, developers uh, have started talking about ways to potentially resolve this issue. Uh, there's been a few different uh, discussions, really. So this isn't any one particular developer's idea. It's, it's been kicked around a lot, even at this year's Gwadec. Uh The idea could be to perhaps just sort of enhance the existing behavior in Gnome Shell, where when it crashes and it comes back, the shell, when it comes back, all extensions are disabled, and it is up to the user to sort of go through and play Russian roulette and re-enable their extensions until they get to the thing that crashes. Of course, we all know in the real world, you don't crash immediately often. It's, it's a day or two later, so it's really hard to actually figure out which one it is, even if you're checking the logs. But that's sort of the most easy course to take, is you just sort of change the way the shell crash behavior uh, works. Another possibility that has been considered is decoupling GNOME Shell and mutter. But obviously, that would require major architecture changes, something we've talked about on this show before, and also likely changes in the way extensions behave, and the creation of some sort of IPC communication system in the background. Then there's a third proposal, perhaps in some ways the easiest proposal, but the most controversial proposal, and that's discontinuing unlimited extensions introducing a limited API they can use instead of hot-patching, This because this is how it works right now, like the old Mac OS Classic extensions that literally hot-patched Mac Classic. Right now, extensions on Gnome Shell are hot-patching the Gnome Shell code itself. Obviously, this is risky. And if you introduced an API that the extensions could use and you could even limit that API it would mean that basically all of the existing extensions would have to be completely re-implemented and likely some of their feature sets that they take advantage of now because they can just insert themselves into the code of the shell. They would lose that access and that functionality would be gone. So this is a difficult point that GNOME is approaching and they're not necessarily taking any action right now. These are just things that they're concerned about. And there's also a conversation at the same time and again just discussions and this is how this is supposed to work and we should give them the space and the room to make these discussions but also ongoing right now are discussions around removing the theme capability from gnome i'm gonna let that sit in for a second one theme their theme no more custom distro themes and that's that's a big one Think about how canonical sort of makes their GNOME shell theirs. Fedora puts their touch on it as well. Everybody does, and that's is sort of a kind of distinguishing feature of GNOME three in a way. And really, that that distinguishing choice is one of the standout features of the Linux desktop to have to have that level of choice. But I have seen what an absolute shit show that code really is. You're you're hot patching CSS. You're going in there and you're yanking out lines of code and CSS and putting in new ones and then you're reloading the shell and seeing what the hell happens if the shell even loads again. That's how you create a GNOME Shell theme. And the way anybody gets it done right now is they fork. That's why everybody forks themes now because so much of that super crazy-ass hard initial work has been done so people are just building on top of other themes now because you got to kind of be a masochist to go back and do that to yourself. And I watched somebody do it at a canonical event Let me tell you, that was one of the things that, I'm not joking, made me switch to Plasma. When I saw how that was being done, I completely lost faith. And that was one of the things that made me switch to Plasma. When I saw that, I went, holy shit. So I can understand why they would want to get rid of that functionality entirely. Not only that, but it it creates consistency for developers, and it solves security, potentially. And stability issues, potentially. And it solves a problem they call visual fragmentation, which sounds just great. Across the GNOME desktop ecosystem exists visual fragmentation, and it's very real, and it's a problem for app developers. Since very few distributions ship GNOME as is, it's hard to determine what visual identity GNOME is, and therefore it's difficult to know what visual system to build your applications for. The biggest offenders continue to be downstream projects that theme GNOME extensively by overwriting the default icons and style sheets and insist that part of their own brand identity. But so long as that practice carries on, this fragmentation will continue. Now, I thought to myself, holy crap, <laughs> that would be a massive <laughs> change. Uh, and I was really curious to know what one Mr. Daniel Foray thought. So I went to his Twitter feed. Uh, and he says you have to think about the fact that GNOME was used is GTK I should say GTK plus is used outside of GNOME, and that right there I think brings this whole thing into perspective is is really underscores how how in the bag GTK is GTK plus that toolkit is for GNOME it really is the GNOME shell desktop toolkit and what do you think about this entire proposal Dan do you think it's going to go anywhere do you think it's just sort of you know, um Skunkworks talk right now? Or do you are you concerned this may actually progress into something that could be difficult for elementary OS to deal with? Because I would have to imagine you guys really rely on these mechanisms quite a bit to, to create the elementary look.
3: So we actually uh, went out to Guadec and we participated in the uh, the talk, the theming kind of discussion API overall talk. And kind of the the takeaway is that Um, there's a lot of different parties, right? They kind of have competing interests. There's uh, Gnome as a platform. There are other GTK platforms like uh, Elementary. There are kind of um, GNOME downstreams like Ubuntu and Pop! OS. Um, we have app developers and we have users and they all have different things they care about, right? And the, the kind of overarching theme of the discussion is how can we make everyone happy? And I don't think that There's anyone on the either inside or outside of GNOME that wants to introduce a sweeping change that's going to make any of these parties like really upset. I think we're all trying to work together. And the kind of overarching idea that came out of that talk was we need to make it easier for uh, downstreams from GNOME to write style sheets that are fully compatible with Adwaita so they can keep doing their branding without adding an extra burden for developers.
0: So is that your way of saying something's going to change, but it probably won't be the end of the world for people that want to have their own downstream identity?
3: I'm not necessarily sure something will change as far as the internals of GTK, but I think that in terms of like more and better documentation or more and better tooling.
0: Oh, okay. I follow you. That would be a really positive development.
3: Yeah. So I, I think that everybody wants to make sure that, you know, the everybody's freedoms are still preserved, right? Like we, it's a real pain for developers if we start locking down things because then it makes our development environment hostile, yeah, right? Like right. that's not fun. So right. nobody really wants to do that. Um you know, we, we want to make sure that third-party developers have a stable and consistent platform to target. So if they choose to write an app for Gnome, that it works how Gnome apps should work. And if they choose to write an app for elementary, that it works how elementary apps should work. Um, We just want to make sure that our developers have something sane to target. And it seems that the way to do that is to make it easy for people to write um, style sheets that are compatible with uh, Adwaita, or style sheets that are more compatible with, with elementary OS.
0: All right. Okay, so you've convinced me I won't be making a prediction at the end of the year that elementary OS announces the switch to Qt. In 2020. So okay, all right. I'm convinced for now. Uh, so, do you have any other comments or thoughts on this story? I know uh, one of their one of their concerns was visual fragmentation. Uh, do you have any thoughts about that as an issue for the GNOME desktop? You have your Ubuntu look now. You got your Fedora look now. SUSE looks a certain way. Antergos looks there a certain way. Ah, uh, they all are shipping a GNOME Shell, but they all do look a little different. They even even the way they functions a bit different due to ex- different extension implementations or lack thereof in some cases. Do you have any thoughts on that particular concern? Just as GNOME Shell as a brand, as as an identity itself.
3: Yeah, I think that um people who try to make the conversation about branding like don't understand the problem. Uh, it's not about branding at all, and and people try to like get down on designers and and talk about control, and it's not really about like control either. The thing is, like when we started that discussion, everybody in the room had an example of an application on their computer that was broken because it was developed against a style sheet that they weren't running. Mm-hmm. And and so that that's what the problem is that's trying to be solved. It it's not necessarily about branding like yeah Ubuntu wants to have their brand but
0: it's also about trying to make a good experience
3: yeah it isn't about trying to take away people's ability or or enforce a brand or anything like that it, it's about making sure that applications aren't broken is what we all care about a
1: fundamental <laughs> level of consistency so that you actually have a platform
3: yeah we just want like you to load an application and not have you know a spinner that's Crazy huge or text that's invisible or like style sheets are super powerful and they can make your app look really crappy. And then developers get complaints from users and then they're like, hey, you know, what the hell you changed the style sheet that I built my app against and now it doesn't work. And, you know, we're, we're trying to make people happy and it's a super hard problem.
0: Yeah. Popey, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've seen this movie before. It kind of goes something like this. Hey, here's an idea, and then the internet freaks out. You're going to take away my toy, and then it kind of ends up being not quite as big of a deal as everybody expected it. Does that? Do you think that's what's happening here, or do you think this could be a major shift, considering the talk about extensions, too?
4: So this is one of the pitfalls of us doing uh, open source development. You can imagine that there are massive bun fights inside apple and inside google and inside microsoft when they're talking about their os's and all the relevant parties and all the people who have a vested interest in whatever that feature is we'll all be discussing this and then it comes to a conclusion and a decision is made and the solution is published. Whereas with open source, you have people who have different vested interests from different parties like Dan and Cassidy from um, Elementary and people from Endless and people from Canonical and people from Red Hat, all getting together and discussing this stuff in the open. And when there's a whole load of peanut gallery outside who are getting snippets of conversations from one party, from one side of the conversation, and then rebroadcasting that... It doesn't help because everyone has a slightly different perspective. Dan has a different perspective than I would, I'm sure. So, yeah, yeah. it's totally, it's totally. Exact. What's the name of that gal who went
0: and uh, observed the, uh, the the monkeys forever? What was that gal? You know, she like fell in love with a monkey. She loved a monkey. What was that? Come on, come on. That's Jane,
5: Jane Goodall. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Brent. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's got to be our approach with this stuff. Like we can get the binoculars out. We can get ourselves a fancy, like a jungle suit and all that kind of stuff um but you know we 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 only can really observe we can only observe here the process is the process they will go through whatever process that is and we just happen to get to watch it and it's a neat it's a neat opportunity for us especially um for podcasters but it is it is a really hard line to walk because taking away themes and taking away extensions causes an emotional reaction. And then you, you want to you respond to that. So I think it's a, my point is, it's just I think sometimes these things start somewhere that can be scary to the end user in a degree. And I don't mean to say that like to, to belittle people, but it is kind of a, like a, it's a jarring thing. Maybe that's a better word. It's jarring to the end user.
4: I don't know. I think part of your observation, like the fact that we can observe what's going on, yes, we can, but it's open source. You could also get involved. There's nothing stopping someone doing a Google Summer of Code project to um, isolate and separate out um, extensions, or or build something that does some validation of extensions, or captures the trace of an extension at right. the point when it falls over, or something. You know, there's there's plenty of opportunities to improve what we have. It doesn't have to be. Well, we're going to have to throw this away. Uh, it, it there's an opportunity because it's open source for people yeah. to get involved, but yeah. it's it's difficult when there's lots of parties.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. So just we don't have to spend a lot more time on this, but I while while I have your ear, one more question to you is, wouldn't we be better off if it was all just one look and one standard and it was sort of the way Windows and Mac are? I mean, I'm not saying I want it that way, but I am saying if your goal is to attract more developers and more end users, uh,
4: wouldn't that be better? I don't know, would it? I mean, which project gets to decide what that one look would be? Well, the, the GNOME project. Right, and maybe... Uh, other people have so long as so long as it's a uh, there's a feedback loop there that allows people who are consumers of the work that the GNOME project do to feedback and there is at Guadec and there are mailing lists and there's IRC yeah. and all kinds of ways to feedback to GNOME to say hey look that's not working we need to do something else that's exactly what is happening now It's this extension thing isn't working This exactly. theme thing isn't working people exactly. are providing feedback exactly. it doesn't have to be yeah they could come up with one theme but. Yeah, consumers would decide whether that's a good theme or not, really, and you'd find out.
0: And and this is part of the process, as much as we sometimes, you know, as we you and I hate it, uh, but it is part of the process just to watch and see the way they go and talk about it a little bit. Uh, I think it is worth exploring. I think it's worth exploring the way uh, they do extensions. I think they're I think they're a reasonable way to extend a desktop when you have an when you have a team. That does have limited resources. I mean, they did just get some money, but it's, you know, it's only going to last them so long. And development takes time and money. It takes years. So when you have those realities, extensions sort of bypass that. And you don't have to wait on that core team to bring in functionality to the desktop. So I think they have merit. And ironically, I'm sure just totally coincidentally, really, um, there was a post on how the Plasma project does their extensions. Is that right? Yeah, and it was, Ooh. you'd be surprised to learn it may be technically superior. Yeah, surprise, surprise, spoiler alert. Uh, and anyways, this conversation goes on. And I say, let's all just wait and see. Don't worry. And uh, these developers are also users of the desktop. They're not going to break their own desktop. So we'll see where this goes. I actually am really happy to see them asking some of these hard questions. I uh, I cover it more on Coder Radio this week. Not safe for work in a not safe for work way. Just as a warning to you, if you want to go listen to it. Uh, and I think this is, I think this is a technical debt that GNOME has needed to pay off for a long time. And now they're looking at that bill and going, okay, right. So how are we actually going to pay for this? What solution do we want to implement? What pain are we willing to endure? And that's the conversation that's beginning, and it's a necessary one. So I'm all for it. I think it's that's where it's, I think that's where this is leading. It just starts at a place where it may startle you a little bit. It may be a bit
1: jarring. Right. And as always, we see the the pop, the pop parts that bubble up into the surface of, of drama,
0: and work continues all the while. Yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah. Speaking of work continuing, so Mr. Cassidy joins us. He's here as now a full-time employee of Elementary OS. Normally, I would say Cassidy James is here from System76, and he works over at Elementary OS. But now I say... Formerly of System76, now joining us on the show is Mr. Cassidy James of Elementary OS. Hey, how's it going? Hey, congratulations. So, I, I grok that uh, the project was the benefactor of a recent contribution, and you guys must have looked at the numbers and said... Hey, I think I can make that work full time. Is that uh, essentially what happened?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's multiple things, multiple things that came together, kind of all at once. It's we've had great success with you know, OS purchases from the website, uh, app purchases from App Center, and other avenues like Patreon and Bounty Source. And then on top of that, we had uh, you know a really generous person from the community, from the elementary community, who liked what we were doing and reached out and said, "Hey, I'd like to help you guys out. Uh, what can I do?" And we worked with them and just you know figured out that bringing, bringing another person on full-time was the right thing at the right time, and that's me. Wow, well, wow, wow.
0: Congratulations. Huge. Thank you. <laughs> Super exciting. And um, I think you guys, one of the reasons I love it is, First of all, both you and Daniel, obviously super committed to the project here. And um, you have a good product. You know, I have my son Absolutely. on it still, and it's just been a solid product. It's a it's good product. I think what you guys have needed is more execute power. Uh, let me tell you, as somebody who is in that same exact position, I think that's what you've needed. And bringing you on gives the project more power to execute on certain things. So it sounds like some of those things, because you call them out in your blog, is uh, – Spending time with app developers and other parties to keep Elementary OS financially sustainable. So that kind of crossed that. That sort of came across to me as a bit vague. Essentially, what I read from that is you're going to uh, do a little developer advocacy, try to maybe reach out to a few developers and convince them to bring their application over to Elementary. Is that? Am I interpreting that right?
2: Yeah. So there's really like there's really three areas of focus I've had over the past few years, and looking to continue focusing on those areas. Um, it's the the writing and communicating with people. So we do, you know, monthly app App Center spotlights on the uh, on our Medium, yeah. Monthly progress reports of development. Uh, we do developer tips articles, things like that. So so writing, you know, I love to write, um, and Dan and I both kind of tag team on the Medium uh, Medium site quite a bit. So that's one way of reaching to developers. Uh, but then there's also the the more direct interaction with developers. That's helping people bring their apps to App Center. Focusing on the developer experience of App Center dashboard itself. Um, those areas are really interesting, and I haven't had as much time to focus on them, and so it's great to be full-time now being able to focus on that. And then the third thing, which is, you know, I've always been doing with elementary is design guidance and input, obviously. Uh, work on the human interface guidelines, sketches. Uh, something I've started doing more recently as organization-wide projects to improve the overall experience. Um, so it's just, it's kind of a scattershot and it's kind of all over, but that's kind of what's exciting about it is that I'm, I'm pretty deeply involved in, in different parts of elementary and now being able to focus full time on that, I think means uh, a lot more meaningful results from that.
0: Yeah, and you may find you start you start digging in on something, and you get a lot of traction there, and that's something you could, you'll have flexibility to dedicate time to now. Whereas before it would have been like, well, how the hell am I ever going to be able to pull that off? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, there's one in there that we haven't really talked about, and I bet you're not going to tell me much, but I just got to ask: dedicate time to working with OEMs with an <laughs> S. <laughs> what? <laughs> what
2: is that about? So this is something you know I've been doing. On the side, there's there's several OEMs out there who ship Elementary OS as an option. Um, I think uh, what is it? Uh, tuxedo Computers. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, there's one called Obsidian. Mm-hmm. There's uh, Slimbook that you can order Elementary OS on. Um, you know, and I've been talking with them obviously because we're really interested in getting their feedback as an OEM. That's a really unique perspective where you're directly interacting with customers, paying customers of hardware who are paying you know a thousand dollars. Or, or however much for a computer. So I haven't had the time personally to dedicate that in the past, but being able to actually interact with them and talk to them about it would be, you know, a, a great thing I think for everybody, for people who want to purchase a computer with elementary preloaded.
0: Right. I hope to see that expand. That'd be that'd be really cool. All right, so let's get Dan in here for a second. So Dan I mean, I, obviously you and Cassidy are friends, but uh, there must have been other people you could hire. So what made you think Cassidy was the right one with some limited resources? Uh, you got time, you got some flexibility now. All of a sudden this guy comes in and he says, hey, if I can help out somehow. Was it specifically, you, but you have to hire Cassidy or was it your thought, no, nah, you know what? This is the way to go. This is the right call.
3: So we've, we've had a lot of internal discussions, right, about what kind of skill set should our next hire have? And there's been a lot of talk about, well, they need to be a developer. Or, well, maybe we need somebody who is good at marketing. Or, well, maybe we need another designer, because our design team has so many things that we just don't have time to get to, and and our developers are making it up, and we're we're stacking technical debt, right? Yeah, yeah. And, And so there's all these conversations about, who should our next hire be, and what should they be good at? And kind of the beautiful thing about hiring Cass is he'll never admit it, but he's great at everything. Uh, Cass is an amazing UX designer. Cass actually is a developer um, and he's published a couple apps in App Center. Uh, you see all of his blog posts on our blog. He helps me manage all of our social media accounts. Um, he's really good at putting people together. He has all this great insider knowledge of how a hardware company works. Like, he, he's kind of this amalgam of knowledge of. Like everything that that it's it's a really really great opportunity to be able to hire him on. To be honest,
0: yeah, I think so. And the man grows a good beard too, which never hurts. <laughs> that doesn't hurt.
3: Plus ten hire ability right there.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is. Uh... So, uh, Cassie, are you going to stay in the the uh, Colorado area, or what? Do, what are your plans long term? Are you going to? Are you going to move out to the coast or are you going to stay put?
2: Well, I, I'm pretty rooted here in uh, Denver, Colorado. I love it here. Um, my family vacationed here growing up like almost every year. So I, I really love it here. So I, I'm, I'm planning on staying here. Uh, my wife has a job out here as well, so you know we're we're pretty we're pretty rooted here. Um, I know Dan has been lightweight looking at apartments and things in the Denver area, so that might be an <laughs> interesting uh, at some point. We'll have to see. You know, that's not a
0: bad idea, Dan. Although right now you're kind of on my route for certain for certain places I go, so we get to hang out from time to time. I'd be a little disappointed, but I I'll, I could I could make a trip to Denver, I suppose. Then I get to hang out with both of you guys, so and then you and can hang out with System76 too. Yeah, exactly. Now it's a party. Now it's a that would definitely be a party. I'll bring the fish. It'd be a good time. All right, guys. Well, congrats to both of you. I think it's going to be really good for the project. Looking forward to the new release too. I mean, think about it. The future releases. With both of you there working on oh that boy. kind of stuff, and I hope you find a path to sustainability, so that way this position remains. It's something you can keep doing, Cassidy, because I think that'd be really great too. Obviously for not just you, but for the project as well. So everybody, go uh, when you when the new release comes out. Uh, put a put another uh, put a little dollar amount in there for Cassidy and for Daniel for the whole project because uh, keep this gravy train coming. Yeah, well, <laughs> at least keep at least keep food on their plates, I suppose. Speaking of keeping foods on plates, why don't we do a little uh, food keeping here uh, for the program? DO.CO slash unplugged. You can go there and get a $100 credit for the Digital Ocean platform. Infrastructure on demand in less than 55 seconds. You can build and deploy a lot in 60 days with a $100 credit. So go to DO.CO slash unplugged. I'm trying to come up with a new way to describe Digital Ocean. What would you Do you have anything that comes to mind? Like, cause like, you know, I can say it's like super crazy fast, all SSD based infrastructure that you can spin up on demand. That is accurate. Yeah. But I feel like I need something new. Some spice. Yeah. Something to change it up. You know what I mean? Like something that, something that has a beat, something that's exciting, something that's fresher than me. Cause I, I feel like, I feel like we could use a little freshness. I don't know. I'm going to just, I'll tell you what, I'll just mix a little something live. You, you, you got a little secret sauce. Yeah. You just go, you just play backup. Okay. You do my backups.
6: DigitalOcean's cloud computing platform was designed with simplicity in mind, giving development teams the ability to easily manage infrastructure. That's why thousands of businesses around the world are building, deploying, and scaling their applications faster and more efficiently on DigitalOcean. Using our simple control panel or API, you and your team can seamlessly go from deploying to scaling highly available web, mobile, pass, DBaaS, or machine learning applications. In just a matter of seconds, quickly set up one to thousands of virtual machines, easily secure servers and enable performance monitoring, and effortlessly attach more storage. Plus, you'll always know exactly what you'll be paying every month with a predictable flat pricing structure across all global data center regions. By using DigitalOcean, you'll get the infrastructure experience that development teams love with the features your business needs. Sign up for DigitalOcean today and experience simplicity at scale.
0: Man, you nailed that, Wes. Good job, dude. I I know what I'm doing. So also, just to give you a mention, they have a new guide up they posted a couple days ago about using a CDN to speed up static content delivery. And when you look at the pricing of DigitalOcean and you look at the ways you could utilize DigitalOcean and the benefits of using a CDN, it's a no-brainer way to use DigitalOcean, especially if you go to do.co slash unplugged. To get that $100, could you say $100? $100, what? could What? I say $100 sometimes. Whoa. I know. You know what else is fantastic mm. is those great folks. So great I had to move my microphone arm in there. Did you catch that? I wanted to give you a little studio ambiance. Uh, it's Linux Academy. Those people over at Linux Academy, they are hard-working folk. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. I just got a little sneak peek at something that's oh, coming down the sneakily, pipe. Peekily. It's so cool. I might uh, reach out to them and try to set up an interview here in the near future to have them g- g- do a little overview of one of these things they're working on. I just so desperately want to say what it is, but I don't think I'm allowed to because it's you know it's in development. You know how they feel about that stuff, but th- they're always working on stuff. It's a platform to learn about Linux. Anything that Linux runs on, or that you can run Linux with, or on top That's of, a or inside. Big of. List. I mean, it's yeah. That's a giant list. Turns out it's most of Microsoft Microsoft stuff these days. <laughs> cool. Yeah, and they got courseware on that as well as uh, AWS and OpenStack and of course the Linux essentials and the Google Cloud Platform and Docker and trying to wrap your head around big data or just basic DevOps concepts really. And now really some great courseware for reals. Really, I like saying really on security. So go check it out, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. It's pretty, pretty, pretty great. And they're always working on new stuff. They're always building new content. They're always adding new features. You get a lot out of your subscription. So linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. You can sign up for a free seven-day trial, even if life's busy. They got a course scheduler. They'll work with your busy day and days and days and days. I understand, but they'll work with you on that. That's
1: like the hardest part when you're like, okay, I want to learn something. Oh, now I go. I've got to go find the resources to learn. No, it's oh, just right it's, there. It so pops there. up. You log in. You keep reading.
0: There's also something that just makes it real when you just see this. This concept is going to take me two hours to master. You know, and then I could oh, okay, two hours? I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. And then you can get study tools and you can get lesson audio and they got videos and interactive diagrams and all of that stuff. So it's a, it's a great platform and it gets you ready for the big certs. It's got instructor mentoring, human beings that help what? you if you need help. Yeah, it's it's great. And human beings. You're real humans. I Lin- would never have thought. I know. Powered, powered by Linux. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Speaking of powered by Linux, Ting. Yeah, the Ting infrastructure runs on Linux. Linux.ting.com. Linux.ting.com. That's where you go to save $25 off a device if you want to buy one from Ting. And I'll tell you more about that here in a second because they've got a good one. Or if you bring one, they got CDMA and GSM, you get $25 in service credit. Pay for what you use wireless as Ting's secret sauce. It's a fair price for however much you talk, text, and data you use. And there's no contracts, no early termination fees, no quote-unquote agreements. And you can manage the entire thing, turn stuff on and off, individual services even, like text messages, on or off right from their control panel. It's super, super easy. You can set usage alerts. They have fantastic customer service. But I wanted to tell you about a great deal right now. If you just want to get a nice, clean, performant Android phone that's going to get updates for a little while, friends, I'd like you to consider the Motorola G6 Play. I've talked about the Moto Series before. They're the ones where I legitimately don't mind the skin. Like, it's so minimal, you know, and if you just... get in your way. You don't feel like spending $800 on a smartphone, which I don't. But you'd like to have something that's no contract, that you don't you're not paying for monthly. I do. Yeah, linux.ting.com, then you go to their store page. You can get the Moto G6 Play for $174. You own it, and then you just pay for your usage. <laughs> that's it. That's awesome. Yeah, no contract. It's multi-network too, so if GSM's better in your area or CDMA, you can utilize that. It's really, really nice. It's got a fingerprint scanner. It's got a bunch of nice features built in like an SD card reader, 13 megapixel rear camera, 4000 milliamp battery. They say you can get 36 hours on a single charge with that sucker. And it's got a Snapdragon quad core processor in it. It's a great phone and you can own the whole dang thing for 174 bucks. That's not bad. That is not bad. And you can, go up to, uh, you can go up to 128 gigs with micro SD. Whoa. Yeah, I think it comes with 32 gigs built in, but you can go up to 128. If you can get off that gotta have the latest and greatest sort of yeah, ride, yeah. then this is a secret weapon to saving some money. It really is nice. 5.7 IPS screen. It's it's got a, it's it's a higher that's it's a fourteen forty by seven twenty, which is not bad for a five point seven when you're not trying to kill battery life all day. You know, if this podcasting thing doesn't work out, you could be just a phone salesman. I, I think you've got it. I really like these phones. Like when you find the right phone, it's like I don't know something about it. it's like this is you know because everybody's always buying like the iPhone or the Samsungs or the, the Pixel. easy choices. Yeah, and it's it's like oh cool, so you spent a thousand dollars on a phone, but. If you if you didn't need XY whatever that one thing is, you could get these Moto's and they're just great phones, 174 bucks, linux.ting.com. All right, I've said my piece. I just think that's a great phone and a great service. I get excited, Wes. I can't help it. I love I love gadgets. Not as much as I love Linux and free software, so just I just mix those two together. I have not bought an Android device since the Nexus 6P. It's been a while. Well, oh. it may change, you know. After a while, the One Plus is starting to look better and better. It is, but I gotta save my pennies right now because I think this week's news has sealed the deal for me on buying a ThinkPad. I was on, the, as you guys know, I've been on the fence for weeks. We had Barton on last week, and you know we were talking about the XBSs. Plus, my XBS has been one of the best computers nope. I've ever owned. I still, it's still my daily driver for so many things. I prepped today's show on my XPS thirteen. I took it, you know, down to Texas. Like, just a solid system. And one of the things I love about my XPS 13 is I get firmware updates through GNOME software, and Plasma Project has announced that they're bringing that same functionality to Discover, so you'll be able to get Beautiful. firmware updates on the Plasma desktop. And I know it's silly, but that's something to, that really matters to me. It makes it feel like a complete consumer product in a way that... Just hasn't really been there on Linux before. I just love LVFS, and I would love that my XPS thirteen got firmware updates that way. You mean saying that I don't have to boot into DOS to update my firmware
1: yeah. anymore is uh, somehow good for Linux? Or, I don't get it. Chris. Or
0: the modern the modern version of that really is you know you have to keep your Windows partition around. Right. That sucks. And so it is such a censure for me now that Lenovo has joined the LVFS project. And the laptop I've been looking at, the T480, is on the supported list of hardware. And I got a couple of notes, uh, emails with screenshots from listeners. They're like, hey, I just got this on my ThinkPad like two days before this went public. Oh, it just shows up. Yeah, I guess I guess the timing went uh, that the images started showing up in the uh, stable repos while Richard was on vacation, so he couldn't get back to write the blog post in <laughs> the time. But he writes, bringing Lenovo to LVFS has been a lot of work. It needed changes to the low-level FW update library, uh, which is FW and even LVFS admin portal itself for various vendor-defined reasons. I love that term. Mm -hmm. In other words, they had particulars they wanted taken care of. He says, we've been working in semi-secret for a long time, and I'm sure it's been frustrating to all involved not being able to speak openly about the grand plan. But I do think Lenovo should be applauded for their work done so far due to the enormity of the task rather than chastise about being party being to the party a little late. Then he writes, if anyone from HP is reading this, you're now officially late. This is, Amen. This, That's great. This is, to me, this is the censure for that T480. Uh, but there's only one person here who I believe has authority to speak on this topic, and that would be Popey, uh, because he owns 35. Hello, Hello Popey. How, how, did you have any any hint this was coming? And when you saw the news, how excited? How excited were
4: you? Uh, I was very excited. It's <laughs> <I> always good <laughs> to see more hardware appearing in the LVFS. Uh, do, you because,
0: think, do you think this is yeah. indicative of other things that may be in the works at Lenovo? Uh,
4: I don't know um i know it's something that uh richard has been working on for a long time we we had him in the office recently when we had a a gnome software uh sprint design sprint uh he came in for a day and we chatted over some stuff and he was telling us a little bit about the uh the amount of work that goes on to get uh companies on board with lvfs and it's certainly a labor of love for him so it's really good to see he succeeded with Lenovo. boy do we appreciate it amazing
0: it it Just it makes it makes a difference for so many users in such a big way. It's such a it's such an appreciated not
4: having to boot into Windows or create some shonky boot disk and you know get your firmware that way. Just like pressing a button, reboot, and and it's cross distro. You know, yeah.
0: Yeah, which exactly. is also so great for somebody like me who seems to not be able to last more than a year on a distro anymore. Which is for actually a lot better. Just than Just accept used to be. it now. There's nothing wrong with it. I am I am really elated by this news. What do you think of my choice, Popey, on the T480? You think that's a solid choice for like a travel? It's laptop? an excellent choice, of course. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, hey, that's all I need. Boom yes. validation. Yeah. Okay.
1: I feel good. That's like we'll if, the Popey approved little stamp. That's out. like <laughs> when
0: I discovered that Jeremy Clarkson bought a, a VW Golf. I'm like, oh, that kind of validates my my new interest. <laughs> That's how I feel Popey is with the ThinkPads. He's like my Jeremy Clarkson for for ThinkPads. He has earned it. Oh, my (laughs) God. Please, no. (laughs) I thought you'd like that. Um, All right. Well, moving on, just a few other things. Uh, Eric, the IT guy, is in the mumble room today. And you may recall that name because not only does he chime in from time to time, but he chatted with me a few weeks back about Jupiter Broadcasting's uh, uh, efforts around setting up PeerTube. And he is back with many encoding jobs later to give us kind of an update on where things are at and some other things that are in the works. So, Eric, thanks once again for all your work on the PeerTube stuff. And where do you think we should
5: start with the update? Yeah, I try and chime in whenever my son's not playing with my mixer.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that is always fun when he reaches for the EQ. So, just you know what I do is I just swat at them. If I find that works, you just swat at them. They yeah, they seem to learn. No, I'm kidding, <laughs> Wes is looking at me like, I think you're joking. <laughs> but he's like, no one, Chris, I'm not sure. Well, it helps
1: that Dylan's a natural broadcaster, so yeah. you don't need to worry about him. He's
0: quick. He dodges. That's what, That's what. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. So what do you think, Eric? Where, should, where do we start
5: with the peer tube?
0: Is there any significant new developments? I know there's been some back-end changes. We've had a whole bunch of encoding jobs going.
5: Uh, kind of the the thirty thousand foot view. We've uh, we've rebuilt PeerTube about three times on three different setups and uh, and operating systems, and we've we've settled on Ubuntu, and uh, and we we've got a nice big uh, VM thanks to some of the guys in in the community. They've they've donated a huge VM with I think sixteen cores. And, um, if if you're on the Mastodon server, you've you've seen that uh, about every couple of hours a new video is being posted as I'm going through. Uh, 10 plus years of jupiter broadcasting backlog um we're in the next few days transcoding jobs should finish for bsd now um i don't i don't know if anybody watches that but uh it's there (laughs) (laughs) i I kid i kid i love you guys that was solid dude well done (laughs) nicely delivered um so we're i think uh i think nas ask Noah's up there uh bsd now is almost done uh Several of the other shows are done, and then the rest are, are on their way. Yeah. Uh, so once once the active shows have have all been uh, had had their backlogs ported over, then uh, then I want to try and start on some of the shows that uh, that aren't active anymore. So we've got the entire catalog there at some point.
0: Yeah. And this you know this started as uh, hey YouTube is pulling down our stuff sometimes, or man wouldn't it be great to just help lend some attention towards a project that is helping replace YouTube because we've talked about the issues of that especially for free software coverage. And so uh, that's really, I think, where Eric and I started with this. But then we started going, you know, wouldn't it be really great if you could go to one place and have the entire archive available, at least as far as we have it in video. Um, and so that, I mean, I can't imagine the amount of CPU heat that work must be creating, Eric. So how long, how long does that take? Is that a manual process? Are you SCP and MP4 files around or how are you, how are you doing that part?
5: So what's what's fun is it's a, it's a two step process right now. So for the backlog, uh, PeerTube is using uh, YouTube DL, oh, and it's it's got a it's got a scripted job that uh, that I run and just point to. Um, uh, there's a, there's the, the Jupyter Jupiter feed uh, webpage that I just point the the YouTube DL script towards. And so it'll pull in the backlog, but then manually once once I catch uh, catch the tweet that a, a new show's been published, I go up, pull down uh, the the current. So when this when this episode gets published, I'll, I'll go down and and pull that down with, with WGit and then scp it up to the server and, and manually or, or actually manually add it in through the oh. uh, through the web UI. And uh, there there's been some some no- people notice that. Uh, uh, when I do that, there's a there's a disclaimer that the video hasn't been transcoded yet, so quality's not so great. We've actually, as a as a community, been submitting pull requests for new features, and one of the new features that we have requested is uh, the ability to basically set uh, importance. So I, I want I want the server to be busy all the time. Um, so if you don't have anything that's been published in the last week chew on the backlog but as soon as one of the new shows gets published I want you to drop everything else you're working on and go and and transcode this that's a great idea I I need to double check on it but uh, they just sent out an email uh, Peertube did uh, earlier this afternoon stating that uh uh, version 1.0 beta 3 uh, was just released. So we should be expecting a full version here within the next couple of mm. couple of weeks mm. uh, with a lot of really nice features and bug fixes and they're they're changing up some of the things on the back end. Uh, I mean, this project has exploded. I don't think they had a clue just how popular this was going to be.
0: Well, yeah, I, I was just looking at their active instance site, which I'll have linked in the show notes. You can see the other PeerTube instances out there. and There's a whole bunch of them taken off a lot of 10 versions. So, it's good to see that they're still they're still like chugging away cuz I, I know that they've been super busy with their fundraiser stuff. Well, so what's the site people go to to kind of see some of the hard work you've been
5: doing? What's the what's the URL? So, the official URL is getjupiter.com and that's that is a that's a restricted uh, instance that is official Jupiter broadcasting content only, but if you jump over to peertube.linuxrocks.online, Um, it's tied into the Linux Rocks Mastodon instance. And that is where uh, community members can submit videos, things they've seen, things they've produced. Uh, I know there's a couple of us like myself who haven't done, who are getting our feet wet with podcasts that have uploaded a few videos just so uh, we've got somewhere to publish it and say, hey, go check out this video and tell me what you think. And did we end up
0: implementing the chapters, or not the chapters, but the channel? So like, if you want to just see all of Linux Unplugged, you can just go to that channel. How does that work? Because like if you go there and right now, it's all BSD now all the time, and like you said, nobody watches that. So, is there
5: a, <laughs> is there a facility
0: for that on PeerTube?
5: They're still fleshing out some of the functionality around channels. But if you if you go to if you go to getjupiter.com and you register for an account, I know another account. I'm sorry, but that's that's how it works. Uh, if you if you register a new account. Uh, you can actually subscribe to individual channels. So if, if you want to get that Noah guy, you can just go and subscribe to Ask right. Noah and, and get those.
0: That's the only thing people listen to around here. So, okay. Well, Eric, thank you very much. Uh, we should probably keep moving because we want to also talk about Android P and get to some picks. But I really do appreciate that work. So getjupiter.com is where people will see it. And I think it's a good... It's good timing because I think it's going to play into our overall plan to sort of get our back catalog in shape one day.
5: Well, and and one one last quick note that uh, that effort for PeerTube has actually led to another project that we've been working on, uh, a couple of us, uh, where Jupyter Broadcasting now has an official uh, GitLab instance that we're managing. Yeah. So uh, at some point we're going to move all the PeerTube scripts. Uh, perhaps a code for JBOTs, uh, the uh, Caster Soundboard, things like that. We're we're going to be hosting on, on Jupyter Broadcasting hosted uh, instances.
0: Mm-hmm. With a cool URL. It's the great GitHub Ooh. Exodus. We're just a little late to the party. We're a little late to the Exodus party. But yeah, we're setting it all up. We'll have our own official site. So if you hear us talking about it, which I have a suspicion there will be more projects added to that list in the near future. Well, maybe not in the near future, but in the distant future. It'll just be one resource you go to. So if it's the soundboard, if it's the, yeah. That's so easy. Yeah, the bot and all that kind of stuff. Yep, so that's all stuff Eric's been helping us with, set up the backend stuff. And it's kind of bringing together several initiatives, which is great. So... All right. Well, check out more of that, and I'll have links to what Eric was talking about in the show notes. Keep up the good work, Eric, and everybody else helping Eric. And let's talk about Android P for a moment. It was released this week, and I don't have a lot to really cover on it, other than I noticed a few things that stand out. Uh, other than your, you know, your typical new features like adaptive battery and adaptive brightness. And- so adaptive. Yeah. There's a lot of – there's a, there's a big vibe of monitoring you in this thing. So like app actions, which will predict what you want to do next based on your other activity, or application slices, which try to figure out what you're searching for and show you content from an app. And there's also this new dashboard that helps you understand how you're spending your time on your device. And the app timer that lets you set limits on apps – And graze out the icon on your home screen when you've used it too much. Too much Twitter for you, Wes. I know. Oh, God. I'm so embarrassed. And then there's other nice features like Do Not Disturb, which silence visual interruptions. And then there's the wind-down mode, which uh, turns on a nightlight and then turns on Do Not Disturb and then fades the screen to grayscale. I'm willing to try that out. We'll see. But the digital well-being stuff is a little scary to me. And I don't know if it's just me being RMS or if if this isn't just the mecca of metrics for Google to collect here. Like, imagine now all of the things they can add to the profile that's already enormous that they have about you, about all of these things about how you... Because in order to monitor all of this stuff, they've had to build in hooks to watch. And then they have to be collecting this information and storing it and storing it in a dashboard... It seems like it would just be almost negligent for them not to also eventually have a copy of that information, even if in this first release they don't. I mean, right, yeah. You just want more data. That's kind of the rule. And it's all being sold to us under the premise of digital well-being. Well, I mean,
1: you can't. How are you going to do all your machine learning if you don't have all the data, Chris?
0: Yeah, that's true. You got to have all the data. Yeah. Bobby, have you flashed uh, all of your Android devices with Android P? Are you running on everything now and uh, got the... No. Fr- ah! No,
4: because I, uh, as, as is always the case, I am bottom of the pile because I've got a OnePlus 3T. So I, I seriously doubt that will yeah. get in Android P anytime soon.
0: Yeah, I joke, though, uh, but it is kind of a serious thing. It's like, um, now now we wait. Now we wait for the code dump, and then we wait for all the other lag of the projects mm-hmm. that are based off that code dump to actually catch up. Um, just, it is uh, not quite,
1: I mean, it is, it is far better than the alternative in many ways, but it is not quite the glorious free open source ecosystem that perhaps we once naively thought long yeah. ago.
0: So Cassidy, you've been giving it a go though, quite seriously. Um, I'd be, I'd be curious to know about your first impressions, including maybe some of the new nav stuff. If you had a chance to give it a go.
2: Yep. I got the update over the air yesterday and uh, I've actually really been enjoying it. The new navigation is, is optional and off by default on existing hardware, but I guess it's going to be the default on new hardware from Google, at least in the future. Um, but I, I, turned it on. I really enjoy it. I, I, actually really enjoy the digital well-being stuff oh, and yeah. I think I think I have a different perspective on this maybe because we do something similar and we've done it for a long time just really uh, not as well fleshed out I guess in elementary OS and that's um, the the tool called Zeitgeist which is something that on your device it uh, tracks what you open, what files you access, what applications you use it keeps all of that information on, de- on the device, but then that can power some really interesting things in the OS. Um, and we've been talking actually how we could expand the, our privacy settings to be more like this digital well-being where the user's in control of what apps they themselves can open when. And um, you know, we, ha- we have a something called parental controls right now and we've been talking about maybe rebranding that as something like digital well-being because I think it's a really interesting topic of like setting restrictions for yourself for what uh, you know, how you use your device. Like devices these days are made to be so addicting that I think it can be important to impose limits on yourself, as long as it's you doing it and it stays on the device locally.
0: Yeah, I really have no problem with people setting their own limits on themselves if they have control over those limits. It seems like it kind of speaks
1: a little bit about trust. Like when you the the idea as you describe it coming from you, I, it sounds very interesting.
0: But I think maybe some of this is just it's concern. I don't know yeah. if it's actually even an issue. It to me is just. It's just when I hear it, I can't help but wonder it a little bit, and then I and there's this voice in the back of my head that always goes, "Well, RMS was usually right about this stuff. I, it could be nothing, right? It could be nothing." And I I think too, if you do have if you have a hard time with controlling how much you use these devices, building something in is probably good. Um, and I think I think the intention here from the companies is a good one. I think so. Uh, yeah. So Android P. Coming to a phone near you in 2021. So, uh, but you can go read about it with the link in our in our show notes. It does look like a nice refresh. If yep. I had a phone, it would run on. I'd give it a go.
1: There's some good security improvements baked in as
0: well. Yeah, and runtime stuff. In, fa- in fact, the one that I noticed, I think you called it out in our chat, was that uh, it is now using TLS by default and DNS over TLS. That's nice. More encryption. Yeah, yeah. I I I do not mean to besmirch the good name of Android Pi. Because, as everyone knows, we love pie, right? right. Love it's pie. just complicated. It's it's yeah, yeah. It is. It's a complicated relationship. So let's make things easy for a little bit with a snap. There is a new app that I found this week in the uh, Snap store, I guess, and it's called Transitions DJ, and it is a, a to me, I guess. I, I don't mean to say it badly. It to, to, I don't mean to like talk it down, but it's like it's like a, a light version of Mix M I X X X. It's nice. It's a it's a cool little app, and it's used for mixing music. It's great for live production or just making a mix that you like. It has crossfading, tempo adjustment, looping, cue points, tempo synchronization, and it also has a online database. It can pull down of song structures that you can use really? to get the beats hmm. and the bars, and the beats and the bars and the phrases to help you mix it up. And uh, it's a snap to install. It's really, uh, it's actually quite literally a snap. You just do snap install transitions DJ, and, sure. and then you'll, you'll be the you'll be the star of the party. Yeah, so that looks pretty cool. That kept, is neat. Yeah, you got you got a summer party. Then there's a tool that I didn't know anything about, but I knew it was something the Intercept was working on. That's the outfit that Glenn Greenwald works for, and 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 and, and others. And uh, their parent company, First Look Media, has been investing in a tool to help them manage PGP-encrypted emails. But not the emails so much themselves, but the keys. From the beginning of First Look Media, they've been using PGP or GPG encryption for all of their emails. And they've tried to make it as simple as possible by creating a new open source tool called GPG Sync. They've developed it in order to offload the most complex part of encrypted email, the key management part of encrypted email, and they take it out really away from the users, the fiddling from the users, and they kind of move it into the IT staff realm. So this is sort of a pick for those of you in IT that might want to solve this for your end users. So here's how it works. GPG Sync is designed to make it so everyone within your organization always has the correct public keys for everyone else in your organization without even having to think about it. I want that. I want that right now. Yeah, I was thinking like, when I heard this, like, oh, we could use this here. That'd be mm. kind of cool. We could all be you ta- could all be talking encrypted. Although we just don't really. When's the last time you've emailed me or I've emailed you? Ever? Very rarely. Very, Probably once. Maybe once. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's about weird. Twice, <laughs> once. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very odd. Um, yeah. So the tech staff generates a PGP key called the authority key. Uh, and they they also recommend you use YubiKey with this. They create a list of all the PGP fingerprints that all members of the organizations should keep updated called a key list. They digitally sign the key list with the authority key. And then they upload both the key list and the signature to a website that is accessible from a public URL. All members of the organizations then install GPG Sync and subscribe to that key list you can also subscribe to as many key lists as you'd like. So if you had multiple projects or companies you were working with, they could all have their own key list, and you could subscribe to them. You could stay up to date on all of them for multiple organizations. When someone joins your organization, the tech staff helps them generate the PGP key, adds their fingerprint to the key list, and re-signs it with the authority key. And then they upload it to the same URL. If a user migrates to a new key, the tech staff adds their new fingerprint to the key list and also leaves their old one on the list as well. Uh, and now, each member of your organization doesn't have to track down everyone else's public keys and make sure they're authentic. You don't even have to hold regular key signing parties, though you probably could. The users don't actually have to do anything. They just write encrypted emails to their colleagues, and it just works.
1: That's, um, that's pretty neat. Yeah, So you're just delegating trust to IT, which you do for so many other things anyway
0: in an yeah. organization
1: like that, and yeah. just a,
0: a nice way to uh, keep it all in sync. And you in a, in a, in a Windows organization, you are... The domain admins have access to all that stuff. They get master keys. So, yeah, there you go. There you go. It's called GPG Sync, and uh, version 0.20 came out this week. So congratulations to First Lock Media for putting that together. So there's a couple of app picks for you. How about that? Boom, boom, boom. A couple of app picks right there. Pow, pow, pow. And you can find all of those at linuxunplugged.com slash 261. Wow, how about that? 261, Wes. Good job. Holy smokes, holy smokes. Well, that just about brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. If you want to get more West Payne, go check out what? TechSnap? Yeah, TechSnap.Systems. Nice. Uh, if you want a little more Popey, he was just recently on Late Night Linux in their most recent episode. Hey did a yo. fine job there. And also, that excellent Ubuntu podcast... So you always can check out more Popey at there, at there as well, UbuntuPodcast.org. And you can find Cassidy and Dan. Uh, it will have links to uh, their social profiles and their websites in our show notes. So you can get their stuff there. And Brent, is there anything you want to mention before we get out of here this week? Anywhere you want to send folks? Yeah, I think sending people to uh, at Brent Durban on Twitter is a good place. Just come and say hi if you don't have anything better to say. But I'd love to say hi. Check that. All right. Very good, sir. All right, you know, one of these days we got to get another barbecue planned. got to get another barbecue planned. We need it. Yeah, smoked meats. We do need it. Hey, I encourage you to uh, follow me on Twitter too. Why not? We're all doing it at Chris Las. The network is at Jupiter Signal. And if you join us live on Tuesdays, you get a nice Linux rounded meal because the pre-show starts around one thirty Pacific time, and then the show starts around two p.m. ish, and then we tend to go till about uh, three three thirty ish. You know, whatever that might be, and then we hang out till that Noah Chalai guy shows up. And then we do a little handoff to him, and the Ask Noah program fires up. It's a beautiful, beautiful afternoon of Linux. Now, a lot of people say, but Chris, I gotta work. And to that I say, no, you don't. Just put this on in the background. And you say, Bring and they headphones. come to you and say, why aren't you working? You say, boss, this is my extended training. Don't you want me to be better at my job? And if they say no to that, then you're working at the wrong place. <laughs> Alright, thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Unplugged program. I hope you enjoyed everything. Don't forget, links are on the Linux Unplugged website. Our live stream is at jblive.tv. You can also get it on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Thanks so much for being here. See you back here next Tuesday.
4: We go. Oh yeah, yo! Yeah.
0: We're bringing it in now for a landing, soft, gentle keep, JB landing. Yeah, keep your keep your seats buckled uh, and drink it if you still got it, because I'll probably I'll probably smack into the ground a little hard. I tend to do that. Well, thank you everybody for making it to the show today. What are we gonna do for three hundred? I know it's a ways off, but like if we start talking mm-hmm. about it now, you know what I'm saying? We have time to execute something great. So I'm, I'm putting that out there. What are we gonna do for three hundred? All right, jbtitles.com. And yeah, what are we gonna do for titles? Right, the heck. Let's now? go, both. Thank you, Mumble Room. You guys were great. Um, a riotous any, Mumble Room. Anybody cooking like we are? It's what do you say? Probably eighty three in here, eighty four in here right now, maybe.
3: My entire state is on fire.
0: That's that is literally yeah Whoopsie. Yeah, I mean, awful.
3: that's what we need here in Europe.
1: To rain, rain yeah. would be really good.
0: <sighs> yeah, it's hot as balls. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that everybody's suffering with yeah, us, right. That's uh, nice. That's good. That's <laughs> why we do this. Distract <laughs> us all.
1: I'm not suffering right now, and yet I still have my glass of wine. And now it's pretty decent because we have oh, after oh, oh, right, uh, right. midnight here, so it's pretty cool now. It's yeah, good. I
0: bet. Well, that's you know when you're when you're on vacation uh in the, and in the mumble room, that's real dedication right there. I gotta say, you're the best.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm your servant.
0: <laughs> all right, well, now let's pick a title then. And then I think we've uh, checked all of our boxes. I liked uh there was something gnome, gnome on the range. That was one that went by at one point. Yep.
1: Tech. yeah,
0: we got it, we gotta get the boat going. It's a long one. We need your help to sort this out. like we can't yeah. we can't pick from a series of ones. I resisted the urge to ask uh, when the release is going to be, Dan and Cassidy.
1: You know, I didn't. I didn't. I saw you squirming. You, you, it was on your mind. I didn't say. I
0: just wanted to say, like, I, I believe Dan's birthday came and went, and that was the deadline as far as I was concerned. So. When it's ready,
5: as always. <laughs> yeah, just to. Uh, <laughs> Damn it. Thanks, Jess. When it's ready. Yeah. <laughs>